You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. John chapter number 4, verse number 19, the Bible says in verse 19, The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Let me stop there and say I'm not as concerned with where you worship, it's who you worship. And it kind of matters how you worship. Verse 21, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know, not what we know, what we worship for salvations of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. And God's a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he'll tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Verse 27 is sort of parenthetical, so go down to verse 28. After hearing that testimony of the Savior, here's the response of this woman. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Verse 39 gives us the outcome of her sermon. You say, do you think that method would actually work? I mean, do you think that that philosophy is going to be relevant in her hour? I mean, that message wasn't real eloquent. There wasn't much extra Jesus even involved in. I mean, it's four words. Come see a man. What happened? And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him. For the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that ever I did. Tonight, I'm convinced that if God gave us nothing more than the four-word message that he gave that woman in John chapter 4, that we could still reach our cities for God. That we could still see cities turned upside down and nations shaken and revival ushered in and souls saved for God's glory if we didn't have any kind of electrical outlet to plug anything into, if we didn't have a budget for any kind, of, any kind of advertising, if we didn't have nice facilities and thank God for all of that, if all we had was four words, I think we could still get it done for God in our generation. For a little while tonight, I want to preach on this thought, just her message, come see a man. Come see a man. Lord, I pray that you'd help us tonight, please. I pray for your power to preach. I pray that you'd stir our hearts up about the sufficiency of you. I pray we'd go home with a gospel track in our hand, a gospel track in our pocket, and, and, and a tongue that's quick to tell people about you. Thank you for these preachers. I pray that you'd meet their need. I pray that you'd bless our pastor and meet his needs this week. I pray for our church folks that you give them strength as they attend this meeting these days and help us, Lord, to be good hosts. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege we have to spend this time together. I pray for power now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Without question, I believe Christianity today has made itself look schizophrenic to the world around us. By that, I mean we change so quickly. I fear that change has become normal activity for some churches in their ministries. And some are changing their music. 
Some are changing their name. Some are changing their methodology. Some are changing the entire atmosphere of their services. In fact, that never-ending pursuit for some magic method or that search to find some miracle program to gain influence and to uh, grow uh, or spur growth in the ministry, I'm afraid has some in the work of God spinning around like a dog chasing its tail. Preachers in our hour look so unstable. They look so uncertain. And they look so unserious to the lost world around us. I'm afraid we become drunken on the need to be relevant. We become consumed with keeping up with secular business models. Sadly, many are driven around by the shifting trends of time like a boat that has no rudder. Change has gone from being a verb to a noun. It's gone from being an action, I'm afraid, to a position. We've lived through two years of constant change in our world. We've had change in our country. We've had change in our culture. We've had change in our civic policies. There's been a lot of change in the last two years. But can I say, while the world around us may be given to change, the Bible command to the church of God is not to change, but to continue in the things which thou hast heard. I'm not saying that you can't ever change some things. I'll be the first to say I like air conditioning pretty well. And I like indoor bathrooms better than the outdoor facility. And padded pews beat old wooden benches. But I'm dead set against the mindset that some have where change has become the battle cry because they've allowed doubt and discouragement to convince them that if we don't change, we can't offer our generation what it stands in need of. I want to ask the question, has God lost his power to the point he needs your ingenuity and carnal thinking to get the job done in our generation? Change does not put families back together. Change does not reach those outside of grace. Change is not what God called us to take around the world. Now, some may change because they have a misdirected but sincere desire to reach their generation for Christ. I don't know. I believe some change because they're more concerned with their own fleshly desire and temporal results. But regardless of the cause, change is not the mandate, change is not the message, and change is not the answer. The Bible still says, I am the Lord, I change not. He said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I want to serve notice on all of our hearts tonight. You don't have to twist yourself into some entertainment-driven pretzel. You don't have to be some culture-concerned contortionist to reach your city for God. You don't have to wedge your finger to the wind of the day. You don't have to assimilate to the atmosphere of the hour. You don't have to attend some compromised convention. You don't have to read some New Age growth guru. You don't have to ask the neighborhood apostate for a church growth idea. You don't have to take your cue from a compromiser or go ask the neighborhood backslider what you ought to do in our generation. I'm convinced we can still get it done for God the way they've got it done for God in John chapter number four. In fact, let me say it like this. You got to quit complicating what God meant to be simple. I'm convinced tonight that what our generation needs, I mean our generation of sinners, our generation of broken people, our generation of wayward souls, our generation of young people, our generation of adults and seniors alike, what they need is the same thing that was needed by a well in Samaria some 2,000 years ago. They don't need a new method. They need to hear, come see a man. They don't need marketed. They need to hear, come see a man. They don't need 
church to be manipulated to stimulate the senses. They need someone to say, come see a man. Jesus was, Jesus is, and forever shall be the answer and the antidote for the hour. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the day. He's the daysman. He's the gate. He's the bread of life and the living water. He was the answer in the Garden of Eden. He's the answer in every generation and will be the answer as the ages roll. And what our hour needs is for some man of God, some old-fashioned preacher, some Sunday school teacher, some bus worker, some mama, some daddy, some teenager to get that resolve nailed down in their soul that Jesus is enough, that Jesus is sufficient, that Jesus is still the answer. In John chapter 4, Jesus departs Judea and sets out for Galilee. Now, you already know this, but it's interesting that Jesus leaves Judea directly connected to the attitude of the Pharisees in the first three verses of the text. And let me stop and say nothing drives the presence of God from a place any quicker than the attitude of a bunch of Pharisees. As Jesus starts his journey, his heart is set on detouring from the normal route to Galilee and he determines to go through a region called Samaria. Now the preacher mentioned it last night. Anyone who spent any time at all in their Bible understands that was an unprecedented thing for a Jewish man to do in Jesus' day. The Jews and the Samaritans had no dealings one with the other. Jews and Samaritans mutually hated one another. He said it last night, the Samaritans were a mingled race, Jew and Gentile, and they tried to mix in their religion, Judaism, with paganism. It was unthought of for a Jewish man to go through Samaria, but I'm glad tonight that Jesus was no ordinary man. I'm glad his heart transcended race, his heart transcended bias, his heart transcended culture, his passion caused him not to see the skin color, but the soul of the individual. Jesus didn't seek to be accepted. He sought needs that he could meet. And because of that, he went places and he went to people others might neglect. And let me call time out and say, I'm glad that's our heritage. I'm glad we run buses. I'm glad we go to parks. I'm glad we go to the prison. I'm glad we'll go to the nursing home. I'm glad our crowd ain't cooped up in an office somewhere, pushing a pencil on a piece of paper. But I'm glad we've been busy through the ages, rescuing the perishing and caring for the dying. As you read on through the chapter, it becomes obvious why Jesus went through Samaria. As he journeys through the region, he comes to a place called Sychar, and he sits down there upon a well of water. Now, the well is not the why of his journey, but it sure does become the where of his journey. As Christ sits upon the well, a woman comes to draw water. This woman's a broken woman. She's a wayward woman. She's a hurting woman. She's a wicked woman. She's the why of Jesus' journey through Samaria. In verse number seven, we read about it, the coming of the Samaritan woman for water. You notice her life. It's a story of tragedy caused by sin. This woman comes to the well at a very unusual time. She goes to that well at noonday. Normally those women would gather at the well in the morning hours. They'd get their water that would meet their needs throughout the day 
but her sin has knocked her entire life off schedule. She can't go in the morning because they murmur and whisper. She hears their words and hangs her head in shame and guilt. So she shows up there at the noontime hour. The Bible says as she approaches the well, she sees Jesus. Let me say any day that a sinner sees Jesus, it's going to be a good day. The, the Lord strikes up a conversation with this woman knowing that what she needed was not what was in the well, but she needed the one that sat upon the well. At the bottom portion of verse number seven, we begin the conversation of the Savior with the woman at the well. As these two begin to converse, the woman is taken aback that Jesus would ask her to give him a drink of water. I like it. Jesus is the master soul winner. He took that temporal conversation and turns it into something eternal in a moment. He looks at that woman and says, if you knew who I was, if you knew what I could do, you would have asked of me water and I would have given you living water. I like how she responds. She said, but the well is deep. I want to say it's deeper than you realize. She said, but wait a minute, are you greater than Jacob? I want to say he's greater than you realize. They begin to speak here for a moment. And as the conversation progresses, the Samaritan woman is revealed by the Lord the depth of her sin. He said, I want you to go get your husband. Now he knew she didn't have a husband. She'd have five of them things already. It was now shacked up living with number six. He's revealing to her. He knows everything about her. As Jesus presents truth to the life of this woman, the light begins to come on in her soul. She's heard mention of the Messiah. She even read some Old Testament truth about the Messiah. She knew the Messiah would be called the Christ. He said, if you'll drink this water, you'll never thirst again. You say, what's happening? Here's what's happening. The grace of God is beginning to open the eyes and stir the soul of this Samaritan woman. She's heard pieces of truth and now she's standing in the very presence of truth. The goodness of God had brought her to that point and to that place at that period in time to have a head-on collision with the Savior. Isn't that amazing how providence wove every piece of her life together in a beautiful tapestry to usher her into the shadow of that well and at the feet of the Savior. And I'm glad that's the same way it worked in my life and it worked in your life as well. I didn't go looking for God and neither did you. But I'm glad he was on the hunt for us before we ever turned our head toward heaven. In verse 26, all of her answer or questions are answered. Here we find the confession of the Savior to this woman. No longer will she have to look for water in places that cannot satisfy. No longer will she have to be so empty. He speaks to her in verse 26, and he says, I that speak unto thee am he. You imagine how that would resonate in the mind of that Samaritan woman. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm the prophet. Promised one. I was Abraham's substitute. I'm David's seed. I'm the I am of Moses. I was the root of Jesse. I'm the true vine. I'm the subject of the prophets. I'm the types in the tabernacle. I'm Zion's deliverer and I'm your Messiah. What a moment that must have been in her life. What a statement that must have been. That was her emancipation proclamation. That's the word that set her free. No longer that she have to search for satisfaction 
satisfaction. She's going to find her satisfaction in the Savior. What a day she met the Master. What a day she met the Savior. What a day she met with Jesus. She'd heard about him. She'd read about him. But now she's looking at him. That's him. That's the man. That woman was wicked. And now she met a man that could make her righteous. That woman was in bondage. And she met a man that could set her free. That woman was hurting. And she found a man that could make her whole. That woman was thirsty. And now she found a man that could put a well in her. So she'd never thirst again. Her life went from the song. Everybody ought to know who Jesus is. To now she's living in. I'm glad I know who Jesus is. In verse 28 through 29, we find the natural response to the Samaritan woman after that kind of an encounter with the Savior. Immediately, she attended a 10-step program. No. Immediately, she was enrolled in discipleship. No. Immediately, she left her water pot at the well. You say, why'd she do that? Because now she had bigger business than water business. She set her feet toward her family, toward her friends, toward her city to tell them what just happened in her life. She planned to run home with water, but now she runs home with living water. She came in tragedy. She came thirsty, but she leaves with a testimony. In verse 29, she runs all over town, and we find the content of her sermon, just four little words, but here's what she said. Come, see a man. Then you add the addendum is not this, the Christ. It's amazing. At the beginning of the conversation, she looks at Jesus and calls him sir. Halfway through the conversation, she looks at Jesus and calls him prophet. But after she got a drink of living water, she called him Christ. I'm glad the more you spend time with him, the more he comes into view. The more you're in his presence, the more clear the picture gets. She runs all over town. She didn't have a flashy message. It wasn't very deep. It wasn't built on data. She didn't pass out a census. It wouldn't have racked up the retweets, but this woman had what her city needed. This woman had what her town needed. All she knew was she used to be thirsty, and now she's not. She used to be broken, and now she's not. She used to be hurting, and now she's not. She used to be thirsty, but now she's not. And she ran home and said, hey, come see a man. Now, this woman knew men. She'd been around them. She'd met all sizes and stripes of those things. She'd found tall men and short men and skinny men and fat men and bald men and hairy men and rich men and poor men. She was known for knowing men, but she never found one like this one. He was different. He was unique. He was special. He was the Christ. Just a short statement. It's just a quick word. It wasn't really lined with lace or sprinkled with glittering language, but just four words that could change the eternity of anyone who'd believe it. And here it is. Come, see a man. She just figured if Jesus was good enough for her, he's probably good enough for everybody else. If he'd been enough for her, he'd be enough for everybody else. If he was sufficient for her, he's sufficient for everybody else. She didn't have an angle. She didn't have a sales pitch. She didn't have a program. 
She just had a testimony. She said, this is the Christ, and you got to come see this man. This entire story is based on the premise that Christ must needs go through Samaria. What's he saying? i got to get there, because if I get there, I can turn somebody's life around. Let me say, in your city, Christ must needs go up every street, down every alley, in every home, in the jails, in the hospital, in the nursing home. What makes the difference? You've got to get Jesus in those places from the Gospels and on through the book of Acts. And I believe now in our day and until Jesus comes, we can get the work of God done and turn cities upside down. If we have nothing else, then come see a man. Those first century churches didn't have electric lights or air conditioning or movie clips or sound bites or padded pews or nice amenities. All they had was the gospel. What happened? They reached their town. They brought kings to their knees. They took the gospel around the world without an internet connection. Paul said, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, and that he was buried and rose again the third day, according to the scripture. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, he said, in Jerusalem and Judea, also around the entire world, going to all the world and preach the gospel. That's why we're here. That's our priority. That's my prerogative. That's the prerogative need of the hour is to tell our generation, come see a man. Sinners need to hear it. Come see a man. Prodigals need to hear it. Come see a man. Broken people need to hear it. Come see a man. They need something more than the shrink's couch. They need something more than entertainment. They need something than a momentary high that leaves in the next day. They need someone to say, come see Jesus. He'll change your life. They need something more than we can do. They need something more than you'll get in a session. They need something beyond our limitation. They don't need to see me. They don't need to see you. They don't need to see us. They need to see the Lord. He said, and I, if I be lifted up. I'll draw all men unto me. They need more than a cool t-shirt after baptism. They need more than a bracelet on their wrist. They need more than a water bottle with the gospel and five point font on the back. They need more than something else on their social schedule. They need a soul winner to tell them Jesus saves. The world doesn't need another preacher that says, hey, look at us. They need an individual like the woman at the well that says, hey, look at Jesus. Come see a man. Jesus is the answer for the atheist. Jesus is the answer for the agnostic. Jesus is the answer for the transgender. Jesus is the answer for the religious. Jesus is the answer in the public school. Jesus is the answer in the state college. Jesus is the answer in the Christian school. Jesus is the answer in the Bible college. Jesus is the answer for the prince. Jesus is the answer for the pauper. Jesus is the answer for the social elite. Jesus is the answer for the common man. Jesus is the answer for the stony heart. Jesus is the answer for the seeking soul. Jesus is the answer in the government. And he's also the answer in the church. Jesus is the answer in California. Jesus is the answer in China. Jesus is the answer in Alabama. Jesus is the answer in Afghanistan. He's the answer in the hospital. He's the answer in the home. He's the answer in the bar room. He's the answer at the ball field. He's the answer at the market. He's the answer at the mall. Now tonight I understand it's difficult, but while we delve into politics and offer our commentary on current events and as we contend for the faith, may we not forget that we've been given breath and a life to live to point lost people to the Lord Jesus Christ. They they need someone to shout it out. Come see a man. Yeah.
Y'all not be searching for a sermon. Y'all not have to seek for a song. Y'all don't have to go crazy trying to find something to say when you walk in your pulpit. It ought to come easy. It ought to come natural. It ought to just come off quickly. That well on the inside ought to bubble over on the outside. You say, well, what should I preach? What should I sing? What should I testify? I'd say Jesus is a good place to start. I know what they don't need. They don't need to hear about the last book you read. They don't need to hear about the newest politician making you angry. They don't need to hear modern day philosophers and their philosophizing. They don't need to hear some billionaire athlete crying about injustice. What they need is you must be born again. Jesus, Jesus in the morning, Jesus at noontime, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus when the sun goes down. What should I share? What should I say? What should I sing? What should I sermonize? It's not that difficult and it might not be that impressive, but I think it'd please God if we went home and just shouted it out, come see a man. Every family needs to hear it. Every young person needs to hear it. Every senior adult needs to hear it. Those on the edge of disaster need to hear it. Those looking for hope need to hear it. Those with money need to hear it. Those who are broke need to hear it. They won't find it at the stock market. They won't get it in a back alley. They won't get it off a bar stool. They won't buy it at the shopping center. They'll get what they need. The same place I got what I needed and the same place you got what you needed. I tell you what we ought to do is get them to a well. You say, where's the well? It might be an old-fashioned altar. It might be their doorstep. It might be the grocery line. It might be out there somewhere in a parking lot. It might be a jail cell. It might be a bedside. It might be the nursing home. It might be a hospital bed. But if Jesus is there and he sits thus upon the well, it might change their life forever. Someone ought to run all over town shouting it, come see a man. Come see a man who fulfilled all Old Testament prophecy. Come see a man that was born of a virgin. Come see a man that was in the beginning. He's the creator and sustainer of all things. Come see a man who's in control. Come see a man who's the express image of God. Come see a man who turned water into wine. Come see a man who took a motley crew of fishermen and had them go fish for men. Come see a man who opened Bartimaeus' eyes. Come see a man that raised Lazarus from the dead. Come see a man that made the deaf ears hear. Come see a man. Come see a man that interrupted every funeral. He ever attended and life walked on the stage. Come see a man who spake like never a man spake. Come see a man who loved those nobody loved and wanted those nobody wanted. Come see a man that could touch a cripple and make him whole. Come see a man that could make the leper clean. Come see a man that could cast out the devil. Come see a man who can salvage those over the edge. Come see a man who can feed the multitudes with crumbs. Come see a man who spoke peace to the wind. Come see a man who ironed the wrinkles from the sea. Come see a man who's not limited by the rules of nature, but he walked on the water. Come see a man who's not held captive to his flesh, but overcame the lust of the flesh by the word of God. Come see a man who was beaten and yet fought back not. Come see a man who was reviled and reviled not again. Come see a man who was stricken with rods, yet he opened not his mouth. Come see a man who never sinned and yet became sin for us. 
was. Come see a man. Come see, come see a man. My sin was placed on him. Come see a man who became sin for me. Come see a man who made the cross my standard of victory. Come see a man who had nails driven through his hands and feet. Come see a man that shed blood unlike blood ever shed before. Come see a man. Right there's a good place to stop and shout that there ain't nobody like him. Can I say that's what makes the difference. If a sinner comes to church and all they hear about you and I, they're going to leave the way they came. If a broken man comes to church and all he hears about you and I, he's going to leave the way he came. If a hurting heart comes to church and all they hear about us, they're going to leave the way they came. If one who's looking for answers comes and all they hear about you, they're going to leave with more questions. But I found out if a lost man comes to church and he hears about Jesus, he'll leave saved. A broken man will come hear Jesus. He'll get put together. A hurting heart hears about Jesus. He'll find his healing. A questioner comes and hears about Jesus. He'll meet the answer. I tell you what we need. We need a little more decrease and a little more increase in our churches. Come see a man. Come see a man. He was before time began. Come see a man who was always at one with the Father. Yet on the cross, his Father turned his face away so he could look upon me and look upon you. Come see a man that laid down his life and gave up the ghost. And when he did, the sun was snuffed out of the sky. The rocks were rent and the veil of the temple was torn asunder. Come see a man. Come see a man that was buried in a borrowed tomb. Come see a man that didn't stay in that tomb, but he came out on the third day. Come see a man that said, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Come see a man that said, whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Come see a man that said, you must be born again. I used to go to those conferences when I first got saved and before that I even read the periodicals and the books. And I'd read about that and hear it preached to us. If you don't have a gospel track in your pocket, you'd be ashamed of yourself. It's just part of being an independent fundamental Baptist to know what a gospel tract is. We got them 1970 edition Oliver B. Green Gospel Hour tracts. We collect them like baseball cards. Don't pass them out. You go to the track rack in the Everett Baptist Church, even if you don't have asthma, you got to have an inhaler because of the dust on the tracks. It used to be every preacher had a tract in his palm and a tract in his pocket. Now we have a phone in our hand and carry titles around. And we're looking for some magic bean to make the beanstalk grow and we forgot the fact that we're supposed to be fishers of men and tell people Jesus can save. Introduce them to Jesus. Have you been to the well yourself? Remember that day you got a drink of living water? Did you meet the master when you went there? Then you ought to go tell somebody what Jesus did for you. That's what this world needs. Now I understand i got to contend for the faith. In fact, I'm a big proponent for contending for the faith. I'd have heart palpitations if some of you preachers in my age bracket would help me. That'd be awesome. But I can't forget my priority. And my purpose is to preach Christ. They need to hear it. Come see a man. Come see a man that can put your marriage back together. Come see a man that can change your life. Come see a man who welcome you as you are. He'll take you as you are, but you won't leave the same once you meet him. You come see him, and you say, who is this man? Is he Buddha? Oh, no, he's not Buddha. Who is this man? Is he Muhammad? Oh, no, he's certainly not Muhammad. Who is that man? Is he the Pope? Oh, no, he's not the Pope. Is his name the President? No. Is his name Pastor? No. 
But what's his name? His name's Jesus. He's like no other man. He's no ordinary individual. He's not your average Joe. He's not a common man, though he's for the common man. His name's above every name. His name has shaped nations. It's echoed in darkened caves. It's resounded in dense jungles. It's resonant in ornate halls. There's no other name like the lovely name of Jesus. That's the man that hung the stars in the sky. That's the man that makes the sun shine every day. That's the man who stretched out the galaxies and scooped out the seas and trudged out the rivers with the tip of his finger. That's the man that created all things and they consist by him. He's the one who's always been and ever will be. Time can't put an expiration date upon him. There's no furrows in his brow. There's no creaks in his back. There's no weariness in his muscles. He's where he's ever been. You can't take him down. There's no man like this man. He walked with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a furnace. He was with Joshua outside the walls of Jericho. He was in the garden when Adam fell into sin. He was with Noah when he got inside his boat. He's the man that was in Inside the wheel in Ezekiel. He's the man that came to John on the Isle of Patmos. He's almighty. He's altogether lovely. He's the burden lifter and the blood supplier. He's compassionate and he's called the Christ. He's the deliverer and the dearest friend I ever had. He's eternal yet available. He's powerful and he's present. He's in heaven and in my heart. He saves and he secures. He understands and he undergirds. He knows and he never leaves. He gives me breath for existence blood for eternity and I'm glad I know who Jesus is you say he must be a pretty powerful political figure no he's not a political figure you say he must be a great philosopher no he's not necessarily a philosopher you say he must be an anthropologist I don't even know what that is I'm against him I think he's not a political figure but he is the king of kings he's not a He's not a philosopher, but he is a wonderful counselor. He's not an anthropologist, but he knows a little bit something about cattle because he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You say, who is this man? He's the I am. We preach and sing about that a lot around here. That means he's whatever you need him to be all the time. He's the Lamb of God. He's the risen Redeemer. Who is he? He's the Alpha. He's the Ancient of Days. He's the author and finisher of my faith. He's the bridegroom and the brazen serpent, the bread of life. He's the chief cornerstone in Israel's consolation. He's the daysman. He's the eternal one. He's Emmanuel and he's everlasting God. He's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He's the good shepherd. He's holy, immaculate, just, and he's the shepherd of our soul. He's the rock of ages, the rose of Sharon, and he is the redeemer. He's the lily of the valley. He's the bright and morning star. He's the root out of a dry ground. He's the one that liveth and was dead, and now he's alive forevermore. He's the Lord. Lord of glory and the King of Salem. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's our sacrificial lamb. He's the only begotten Son of God. His name is Jesus. You say, what should I preach? Why don't you preach Jesus? What should I sing? Why don't you sing Jesus? What should be our program? How about program in Jesus? He was enough in John 4. He's enough in 2022. Our Savior's adequate. Our Savior's sufficient. Jesus is the answer. It's come see a man. I know you don't have to take a lot of notes, but that's it. Come see a man. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 
Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. It worked in John 4. It'll work today. It'll work on the street. It'll work in the prison. It'll work in Sunday school. It'll work for the adolescent. It'll work for the adult. It'll work for the religious. It'll work for the rebel. It works in the city. It works in the country. It works in the urban center. And it works in suburbia. It works on Sunday. It works on Sunday night. It works on Monday. It works on Tuesday. It works on Wednesday. It works on Thursday. It works on Friday. It works on Saturday. And then hit rewind. It works again on Sunday. It works. George Whitfield was preaching. And outside of the tabernacle, though he did not know, were two women prostitutes, women of ill repute. They'd been living through a night of sin and wickedness. And they were just recovering from being ravaged by the world. And outside on the stoop of that church, they sat. And the preacher began to preach. And he said, Jesus will take the devil's castaways. And they heard that. And they looked at one another and said, surely he didn't talk about us. And again, the preacher cried, not knowing they were on the outside. Jesus will take the devil's castaways. They said, surely he can't mean us. He don't know who we are, where we've been, what we just did last night. And again, he said, Jesus will take the devil's castaways. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit of God began to stir and the well began to bubble up on the inside. And they looked to one another and said, he must mean us. If anybody's a castaway of the devil, it's us. And them two women ran in the church and slid into that altar and got born again. And I'm here to say it still works today that Jesus takes the devil's castaways. I don't care what they look like. I don't care where they're from. I don't care how far down they've gone. I don't care if they got a rap sheet or a resume. I don't care if they got money or they got nothing in their pocket. If they're breathing air, they could get born again. You say, I just don't think I just don't think that'll work. You better get some more confidence in Jesus then. Get some more faith in Christ. It worked for me. It worked for me. I wasn't born in a striped suit, shine shoes, and slicked up hair. I wasn't born saved. I was headed to hell. I was at the bottom of the barrel. I was depraved. I was on my way to perdition. I ought to be in hell right now with my back broke. But I went into a country church one Sunday morning. An old-fashioned preacher got up and all he said was come see a man all of a sudden the light came on grace began to open my eyes I thought if it worked for them maybe it worked for me what did I do I went to the well I went up to that well I sat down at that well I saw the one sitting on the well I heard what he had to say and by the end of that conversation I said that must be him he's told me all things that ever I did is not this the Christ and it changed my life He's the difference maker, not you. He's the effectiveness, not you. Not me. He's the game changer, not me and you. It changed her city. She ran all over town. And here's what happened. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman. Three statements. Number one, the gospel. Nothing else. Nothing else. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Amen. Only thing that separates you and I from the bingo hall or the YMCA is the fact that we got the gospel. Right. I'm glad you got activities, but the main activity is soul winning. Amen. I don't know why my church is dying. When's the last time you passed out a gospel track? Number two, the gospel is still yet the declaration of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you didn't have anything else other than the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we got all we need. Yes. Right. 
And the last statement is this. If the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, and if the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, don't you think we ought to put a little more emphasis on Jesus and preaching the gospel? Praise God. We've talked about it before. We'd like to have it so packed out in here. We have to have two services in the mornings. You know how we're going to get that done? I didn't say you know how we might get that done. I just think maybe God could do it. You know how we can get that done? Every church member pass out a gospel track every day. Every Sunday school teacher get out and follow up every week. Every bus worker get a vision for their route. Amen. Every mama do her job at the dinner table talking to her kids about Jesus. Every father do his job at the bedside at family prayers tell his kids about Jesus. More Jesus, more salvation. More salvation, more people in pews. So here's it. You say, what kind of session? I mean, what, is it worth the price of admission? I don't know if you think it is or not, but I think this would still work, fellas. If you'd go home, I don't care where you live or where you serve, it'll work there. Go home and say, come see a man. You can go overboard on a lot of things, but you can't go overboard on soul winning. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.